Well, good morning, guys. Uh, if I did not say this already, my name is Thomas, and it is a joy to be with you guys today. Um, uh, we are going to be continuing our series through the book of Proverbs, um, and so we'll be talking about the topic of words. So just open up to Proverbs. We're going to be all over the place in Proverbs, so if you just open up anywhere, you'll be good, okay? So, um, but I want to begin today by talking about, um, man, lunch, Okay? And some of you are like, good day to go to church. This is great. Right? Because I want to talk about this. We have choices that we make all the time. Right? We have choices about who we become and all these things. And some of this is big scale and some of this is small scale. So to peek into your future, all of you, most of you will eat lunch after this service. Right? But, uh, and some of you guys will be very decisive. Right? You're going to like, you're going you're, you're gonna to like skip the last song. You're going to beat the line, whatever. You're going to be like a pack, you know, like a pack 12 team leaving. You're going to be like, oh, you're going to be moving. Okay. So, uh, but, but with others of us, there are barriers for us in making decisions. Right? So you, you get into your car with your family, right? If you have a lot of opinions in the car, um, right? And, and it becomes difficult to do something like this. Right, you'll have the person who says, where do you want to go to lunch, right? And then everyone else in the car will be like, well, I don't really care. And then you start throwing out options. They're like, well, no, I don't want that. And you're like, well, I thought you didn't. Well, okay, what about this option? I don't want that. Sounds like you have opinions, okay? Right, so like we get there or there's like the person who's just so set on one particular. But there's all these things that hinder us from making this choice, right? We want to see, we want to eat lunch, right? And some of you are like, speed this up so I can accomplish that, um, right? But bear with me, right? But there's things that hinder us. And when we talk about words, last week we talked about the power of our words. This week we want to talk about practice. Now, everyone in here, I would assume, wants to be a person who uses their words in a wise way, right? You have made that choice. You say, that's what I want to happen, I want to be the kind of person who's life-giving, who, who breathes wisdom into a situation that, that is fun to be around, but also has depth, and I speak truth, but I also show grace, and I want to use my words to build people up, and I want to, I want to use my words to create life in this world, right? And very few people are like, none of that. You know, I just want to be destructo. That, right? No, if you are in your right mind, that's what you want, but there are things that hinder us from getting there. Now, I want to show you um, in Proverbs, because I think this taps into the, the, the problem here. Look at what Proverbs says ch- in chapter 10, verse 31. It says, The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. I talked about this last week, about how our words are like a gauge for our character. Right, they reveal, like we speak out of our character. And I love this proverb because it highlights that. Those who are righteous, what flows out of them is wisdom, while those who are wicked, what flows out of them is perversion. Because our words are tied to our character. So we can make the choice to say, I want to be a person of wisdom. And we can try to grit it out. We, how, I want to use my words in a way that builds people up. Right? And we kind of, I call this like the swear jar mentality where you're like, I said something bad. I'm going to put a coin in the jar. Right? That is not a great way to, to rein in our speech because our speech is tied to our character. It goes much deeper than that. We must reform our inner being our inner man, our inner woman. If we want to become people who use our words with wisdom and to speak like Jesus, we actually have to allow ourselves to be confronted in our character, in our inner being. 
and to be reformed. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. The good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Right? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we, if we want to be people who use our words with wisdom, right, in the ways that we talked about last week, we have to allow our character to be formed so that we speak in a way. Now, this is really hard, and it begins like this. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. I just want to say that up front, because what is easy to hear this morning is, let me try to be better with my words, right? And let me just, like, that's what I'm going to... But as a believer... Right? Or, uh, what, what, we, what we believe as Christians is that the foundation for our lives is a relationship with Jesus. Right? We don't just come out here and say, oh, man, let's try to use our words better. Let's try to be more wise. We must come to Jesus first and lay it all down at the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm incapable of being who I am supposed to be. In fact, I'm far from it. I need your grace that is why Jesus has come and he has died and he has risen again. Is because we cannot be what we are supposed to be on our own. And so everything I'm saying today starts with a relationship with Jesus. If you try to form your words apart from that, you will never be sustainable. There's no longevity because it takes character reformation by the power of Christ. So that's what I want to talk about today. How do we begin to reform our character so that our words reflect Jesus? So I'm going to give you three things. Um, and the first one is this. We can become encouragers by spending time with God. So um, I have become a baseball fan, like more so recently. Um, and so some of this um, is because uh, the Astros are actually good. Um, and so that helps. Um, but most of it is because of my son, uh, Adler, like we, we, uh, like I have taken him to a lot of sporting events. It's like, I mean, so I've taken him to Aggie baseball and I've taken him to the football, like Aggie football and all, basketball games. And the, the thing that has clicked with him is Astros baseball. So that's what he loves. He loves wearing his Astros shirt, his Astros hat. And that has made me love it as well. I'm also like, cause I have kids and I'm in that phase of life. I'm like trapped at home. So it's like, I, you know, in the evenings, and it's harder to do stuff. It's like, there's always a game on. So it's, yes, here we go. But it's bringing back all these, like all the wisdom that your little league coach gave, you know, gave me when I was little, right? I can still hear it, right? Whether you are trying to catch a ball or hit a ball, what's the most important thing to start? Keep your eye on the ball, right? If you close your eyes, you've done something wrong, right? It's, it's not going to end well, more than likely, Right? You keep your eye on the ball. If you take your eye off of it, your chances of being successful greatly diminish. Right? And when it comes to becoming an encourager, we have to set our mind, our attention on the right thing. We set our mind on Jesus. We spend time with our Father. We walk in the Spirit. We listen to Him, and that reforms our character. Right? We meet with God. We talked about this last week, like how crazy it is that, that, that we, we believe this. This is what the Bible teaches. We can interact with God. Right? God's not just some far-off being. He's not just someone just, just hanging out who's like kind of set the world into motion like a top. It's like spinning. And if it gets wobbly, he kind of spins it again. No, he is involved, and he wants to talk with us. He wants to meet with us. He, he wants us to bring ourselves before him, to confess our struggles, to confess where we're at, to confess our anxieties and our worries. 
And as we do that, we are reformed. Look what James says. James chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, and I love the book of James because it's kind of like the New Testament version of Proverbs. It's, it's, it's a lot of just wisdom, really fast. Um, look what he says. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. The, the, the person who has their mind only on themselves that is a recipe for disorder and evil practice. But when we set our mind on someone else, it brings order and righteousness. Right? Many of us step into meetings or step into places with our family and our minds are only on ourselves. We have not spent time with the Lord. We're not thinking about the things that God is thinking about. Right? Our minds are set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. And when our minds are set on ourselves, we become completely unaware of what's happening in the room. And so we, we are more loose with our speech. We let off sarcastic comments. We let off jokes completely unaware of what the different things that people are carrying and the burdens that they have. And we discourage them and we weigh them down. Sarcasm, right, we think is like, uh, that's kind of a, a joking mentality or whatever, right? They should just lighten up. But sarcasm, many of you already know this, but it, it comes from a Greek word that means to tear apart flesh. Like, it's like the imagery of a dog eating a carcass, it's like to tear it away. That's sarcasm. And so many of us say, man, like I just, I, I'm completely unaware of what is happening in a, in a given space. And so I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to try to get this done. I'm going to try to railroad this thing through. Look at what Proverbs says in uh, Proverbs chapter 26. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Right? Many of us lean on this uh, idea of when well, I'm just joking or you should lighten up or whatever. And the book of Proverbs talks about, man, what, are, what we say matters. And when we just say, I am only joking, it can still sting and hurt. But as we spend time with Jesus, as we abide with him, our character is reformed. Look at what Proverbs uh, 12 says. Right? He says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Like when we are loose with our words, we can hurt and we can destroy. Proverbs 16 and 12, uh, Proverbs 12, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Right, that's the target. How do we produce that in us? How do we produce honeycomb? We talked about that word last week, right? How do we produce healing in our words? It is through abiding in Jesus. Now, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15, right? He'll say, abide in me and I will abide in you, right? He'll say, make, make your home in me. That word abide is a Greek word, meno, which means to make your home or to remain. Make this your dwelling place. And Jesus says, make me your home. Come to me, spend time with me, talk with me, bring your burdens to me. And what's interesting is he then abides in us. We begin to put on his character. We begin to put on the attributes that God has. Peter talks about this, and he will say, actually, we will become partakers in the divine nature. Right? Which is not saying we somehow become God, but we put on the character of God as we interact with him, as we remain faithful, as we abide and make our home in him. Now, 
the result of this is us becoming less selfish and becoming more aware of what's happening around us. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I love this because he says, do not let unwholesome speech come out of your mouth, but say things, build up. Do not divide out and parse out, but build up together, edify. But he says, according to the need of the moment, right? So it's like, put away your your generic encouragement, but think deeply about what people need to hear. And how do we do that? It is by listening to what the Spirit is doing. When we position ourselves and we abide through spending time in the word, through prayer, through confession, through, through abiding in Jesus, he will reveal to us, man, people that we should talk to, right? He will bring to mind people. As the worst things that I've ever said are when I'm rushed, right? Like I get up and it's like, okay, I'm late. I got to keep going. And I just kind of, I, I just stop looking at everyone around me and I just say whatever's coming to mind because I'm just trying to get there. But when there's space to abide and be with Jesus and to lay my day before him and to say, God, where would you have me go today? Who are the people I need to be mindful of? Who are the people that you would, man, you'd be surprised. He will bring things for you to share with people according to the need of the moment. We become more aware of the needs of others, just as Paul says here. So we spend time with God and we reform our character to become encouragers. I want to say this last point. In order to become an encourager, we must be encouraged ourselves, right? And what we are doing when we are spending time with Jesus, we are letting him speak into us encouragement. We are letting him shape reality to him, him speaking into our situation. I, I think going back to that John chapter 15, in the chapter right before that, John 14, right, the disciples are stressed out Right? They're stressed because they, Jesus is like, hey, I'm leaving you guys. And the disciples are like, where are you going? Can, like, can, you know, can you like, drop a pin and we'll follow you and like, we'll meet you there? Like, and he's like, yeah, I'm not, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And there, there's anxiousness. And you just see Jesus speak to them. Look what he says. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. I will not leave you as orphans and I will come to you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. When we sit in that and we allow Jesus to speak into our lives, right, and and meditating on his word and responding to it in prayer, we are encouraged and it changes us and frees us to take our eyes off of ourselves in order to encourage others. I want to move to our next point, which deals with complaining. We can remove complaining through meditation on the word of God. We can remove complaining through meditation on the word of God. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about strife and, and division. There's, I, I've highlighted a couple of verses right here. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Proverbs 21, it is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Right, if you notice, right, the, the reason that is uh, gendered, by the way, is because, remember, Solomon's writing this to his son. Um, men can be content, contentious and vexing as well. 
Proverbs 30, for as churning cream produces butter and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. I love the graphic imagery there. Apparently that was a thing. Like people just knew, oh, twist the nose, blood. Um, right? But he says, stirring up anger. He talks about a lot about division and strife. And while in the Bible comments a lot about complaining, how it divides people out, how it stirs up anger, how it pits uh, people against one another. Look at Philippians chapter 2. He does not mince words here. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Few verses are harder to obey than that because complaining comes natural to us. Complaining is just in us. We see something wrong, and our, our response is to say, let me complain, let me talk, let me, go, let, me, let me tell someone else about how bad this is, right? Look at that, look at this person, right? Have you heard the preaching today, right? Like, what's going on here, right? It, it, you, you, we want to complain. That's in us. That's our natural, but how do we remove that complaining? And if you notice, God hates complaining, right? He, he, will, he will push up against it with the Israelites over and over and over again. He's like, they're grumbling, they're complaining, right? They're, they're arguing, like they get out of uh, Egypt and they're starting to go and they're like, well, we, it was kind of like better when we were in slavery and captivity to Egypt, right? And you see God's anger is kindled against their complaining, which is why Philippians says, do everything, right? And you can do word studies on everything. It means everything. It's not like, well, if they deserve it, then it's like, cool. No, everything without grumbling and complaining. And the way we do this is by shaping our perspective through meditation on the word of God. Now, many of you guys know what those like magic eye books are, right? It's like a 2D image, but then if you like look at it the right way, like a three-dimensional image appears, uh, right? And, and it's like, man, when I look at it the right way, something new emerges, right? That's what we need. I remember uh, when I was younger, I, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy came out when I was like in fifth grade, sixth grade. And I remember just thinking, cool action, you know, and that's like the extent of it. But recently I rewatched the trilogy, um, right? And I'm, I like to think I'm more mature than a fifth grader now uh, and, and have a more critical eye. But I also had uh, a friend who's on staff, Jackson McGuffey, who loves Lord of the Rings, right? He's like, like, he like does his like quiet time and then he like spends time reading about Lord of the Rings, right? It's like, that's how he starts his day. Um, no, that's not real. Uh, but, but it's like, he just knows so much about the world of Lord of the Rings. And there's imagery and there's like backgrounds and did you know this and that? And, and re-watching the movie, uh, like right, there's port, parts where I would like, I'd watch it and I'd call him and be like, what's going on here? I don't understand. And he would like fill in the gaps and watching the movie with that experience, it's not just an action movie, let me tell you, right? The, the story and the depth that is there is so rich and beneficial and the imagery even of our Christian faith that is present in the film. Right? And I'm an amateur because I just watch the movies, not read the books. But, right, we come at it with a new perspective. As we meditate and inform ourselves of who God is through meditating on his word, we, we can combat the, the, the tendency in us to complain, to, to grumble about our situation. So what I am not trying to say Right, it is, right, a lot of us in tragedy want to tell people, man, like God, like God has a plan for this. Right, I experienced loss in my family a few years ago, and I remember people would say that. Right, um, they were like, "Hey, God, God's going to use this." Right, just gotta like just 
yeah, just have a, be positive. And like, that was not helpful, right? That's not what I'm trying to say here. But I'm thinking as we approach personally, as we think about our lives, I want you to shape your perspective, right? I'm not trying to give advice about what to say in the midst of tragedy, but more as a way we approach our lives. Um, and I want to give you a couple different examples. Look at this. Um, we can meditate on God's character. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Right? The believers that Peter was talking to here, they were starting to get stressed out because they were like, where, where is Jesus? He said he was going to return, and like, some time has passed, and where is he at? Like, you know, Jesus, isn't, he, isn't he aware that like, persecution is increasing? And Paul write, or, uh, Peter writes, hey, the Lord's not slow. He didn't get lost. Right? He's, he's, he knows exactly what he is doing. He desires that all people would come to repentance. And so it's not time yet. Right? He, that, that perspective reformed them. They understood God's character. We can see mankind's value in James chapter 5. Do not complain, brothers, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And to provide more light on this, James chapter 3 talks a lot about um, how we speak against our brother. How can you bless God and curse mankind who is created in his image? And so when he speaks this in <clears throat> James chapter 5, he's saying, don't complain against your brother and cut them down. Because God sees it and he values mankind. Also, setting aside preferences. I love what 2 Timothy says. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Right? Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, set your preferences aside. Paul says there's things worth fighting about. But there's a lot of things that are not worth fighting about. He says, set aside your preferences. There's so many things more important. And he says, don't quarrel. Don't get into foolish arguments. Set aside your preferences. Be kind to everyone. Or the immensity of God's grace, Luke 7, 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. This is uh, the woman who is washing Jesus' feet. Right? And there's a Pharisee at the table, and the Pharisee's like, man, if, she, if he just knew who she was. And he talks about her perspective of, uh, of she comes in, and she's weeping, and she's washing his feet, and, and basically showing Jesus as much honor as she knows how. And it says, those who have been forgiven little love little, but those who have been forgiven much love much. When we see the immensity of God's grace for us, that everything in our lives can be touched by his grace and redeemed, that changes who we are. I talked about John chapter 14, how Jesus says to his disciples, I prepare a place for you. Just think about the reality of that. As believers, that Jesus goes before us and is preparing a place for us in the kingdom of God. Right? I have two kids now, uh, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And I remember when they were about to be born, right, we start to paint the room and we're putting a crib in and you're getting excited and you're counting down the days and you're trying to get ready and you're buying clothes and baby shower and everything. You're watching all your money go away. It's great, right? It's super great. Um, but there's this excitement because you know that they are coming and you are preparing a place for them because you want them to dwell with you. 
to remain in your home. They don't bring much to the table. They just kind of mess up the house. You just love them, and you want to be with them. And Jesus says, I prepare a place for you. When we meditate on that, when we create space to encounter that and to let that inform our perspective, it opens us up to let go of complaining, to let go of grumbling through meditating on the word. I want to revisit Philippians chapter 2. Look what the rest of this verse says. Do everything without grumbling or, or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. But he goes on to say, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He says, grumbling is natural. It helps you blend in with the world. But when you build this character trait into you of gratefulness, to release grumbling, to cast vision for what could be and establish hope instead of just tearing down and complaining, he says, you shine like stars in the dark sky. You stand out as witnesses to Jesus. That's the target. My last point that I want to argue today, we can become bold through remembering the acts of God. We become bold through remembering the acts of God. I talked about this verse last week. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite verses, right, talks about how Jesus holds all things together, right? We, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, how it is, the creation story is told in terms of not of chaos, not of war, but God speaking and all things being formed and, and coming to life by the power of his word. But Colossians 1 says all things are held together by, by the word of God as well. Everything, rulers, authorities, principalities, dominions, all things are created through him and for him. He's before all things. He's in all things. There is this emphasis on the reality that there is nothing mundane in this world, but God is at work in all things. He is holding it all together. But what we fail to do is recognize that, don't we? Right? A lot of times we just we forget. We forget what God is doing. Or we rely on the stories of what other people have said about God versus taking time to reflect on our own experiences. Have any of you guys ever had this experience before where you buy a new car or you get a new car and then all of a sudden you're like, man, did everyone like buy a Kia at the same time? Like, because like you get in that car and you're, you're living in it and then like you drive around, you're like, does everyone own a Ford now, I guess? Or like you buy a car and like you see that car everywhere. Or maybe there's like a, a, a movie or a show and you're just like, man, now I see those billboards everywhere, right? When you sit in something, when you take time to reflect on something, it makes you more mindful of what is taking place. So look what Proverbs says in chapter 4. It says, Take hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. There was another translation uh, from the NCV that I really liked. Always remember what you have been taught and do not let it go. And it's this idea of recognizing the things that God has done in you and for you, his faithfulness towards you. And there's something that happens that builds boldness to speak. Right? When we take the time to note how God is active in our lives, right? when was the last time you did that? Where you just said, how, how has God been faithful to me this year? 
I remember when uh, we moved, me and my wife moved to College Station, like there were so many things that lined up, even just for us to get a house, and uh, like there's all these different things that came together. And I remember in the moment just being like, man, God is so good to us. But right six, seven years later, you kind of forget, and you kind of just chalk it up. Maybe, oh, there's chance. or whatever. Like it's easy to get into that mindset. We have to remind ourselves and set up reminders to say God has been faithful not to just Christians in general, but to me. And here's how. As we recite that to ourselves, it, it, it shapes our character so we can become bold in our speech. I love uh, the example in Acts 26. We studied this with our high schoolers on Wednesday. But it's Paul before King Agrippa, right, and Festus. And Agrippa's like, hey, give your defense for yourself. Go, Paul. And he is on trial, right, like, the Jews have brought all these charges against him, and he just starts sharing his story. He's like, this is who I was. I was a persecutor of the church, and then God confronted me. Jesus spoke to me. He said my name, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that changed me, and now I proclaim the resurrection of the dead, and this is what I've seen and experienced. And, and Festus stops him in the middle and is like, you're crazy, right? You believe in the resurrection of the dead? You're just crazy. And he's like, no, I'm in my right mind. He's like, I've thought deeply about this. This is not just some like feeling I have. I am totally aware that God has been active in my life. And then Paul then changes his tone and begins to look at King Agrippa and begins to say, Agrippa, I know you know this is true. You know the prophecies and you know that Jesus has fulfilled. He is the Messiah. And, and he actually stops him and says, are you trying to convince me to believe this? And Paul's like, yes, right? He's like, I am. In fact, the whole, pri- like, the whole courtroom, he's like, I hope all of you would believe. That kind of boldness can only come from someone who's taken time to realize how God has been at work in his life. Right? He knows how God has been at work in particular in his life. We asked our students that, like, Dave, do you think this kind of boldness is possible for you? And a lot of them were like, well, no, Paul, you know, he's like special. It's like, really? That's not how Paul presents Christianity. He doesn't present it as like, yeah, a couple of us like got the inside track. And we got like super, like a good relationship with Jesus. And like the rest of you, hope, hope, you know, you get B team. No, all of us have access to God. And God is at work. Remember, Colossians 1, all things are held together by him. There is no mundane. God is at work in all of our lives. Oftentimes we don't see it because we never stop to reflect on it. The Israelites were guilty of this often, right? Something would happen and God would remind them, hey, set up a reminder for yourself, like stack some stones, you know, write this down. He would just tell them, do not let yourself forget this because that's what you're prone to do. You're prone to forget what God has done in and through you. So set up reminders for yourself. A practical example of this is maybe at the start of this year or, or, or whatever, even just to reflect and say, okay, before I jump into this fall semester, let me write down the ways God has been faithful to my family this past year. What are the stories of God's faithfulness to me? And that'll spark boldness in you. I've been reading a lot of parenting books because I'm just in that phase, right? And I read Paul David Tripp's book. It's just called Parenting. And you're like, man, if if that's just the name of the book, I'm going to grab it, right? It's like if you can just establish the corner on parenting. And one of the things he says is he says, so important to point out how God is at work in your life to your children. 
right? Don't just say like, yeah, this is orange and this is yellow and this is pink. And, but like, let them know that God was mindful of them when he created these colors, right? Like the fact that they love, your son loves orange or yellow. It's like, man, Jesus knew as he was creating and authoring the color spectrum, he knew people who would love this color or to love the taste of this food. It's like, those are small moments of faithfulness. But it's also as a family, we need to point out, this is how God has been faithful to us in bringing us to this moment. When was the last time as a family you just pointed that out? Look at what God has done to provide for us. Take note of that to generate boldness in you. So to conclude, I want to wrap, I'm going to recap and wrap up. We become people of encouragement by spending time with God. We remove complaining through meditation on the word of God. And we become bold through remembering the acts of God. And so our applications have already been stated. And I want you just to think about these. Is there one of them in particular or maybe all of them this week that you can say, okay, I just need to create space to be with the Lord because I have failed to do that. Yeah, I've registered for classes, right? I've made sure my meetings are scheduled. I've made sure all these other things, but I have neglected the good portion, creating space to sit at the feet of Jesus. Or maybe it's just, I need to meditate on the word of God. I need to join a Bible study. I need to be a part of a group that's going to go deep into the word of God and reform and reshape my understanding of the truths of God. Maybe the last one is to remember and to jot down. In this, these practices, they take time. It reshape your character slowly over days, over weeks, over years. And we become people, as the Proverbs say, right? Out of the righteous flows wisdom. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We become people with reformed character who then speak in a way that honors the Lord. So to end our time, you should have gotten a communion cup. Um, And this is one of the best gifts that God has given us to help us to remember. And if you have not gotten a cup, you can uh, raise your hand and um, some of the guys in the back will help bring you one. Just raise it up high. Um, Make sure you get one. But, But this is a picture that God has given us, right? Communion is meant to be for believers as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Right, God knew we would be super forgetful. And so he's given us things like baptism, right, to give us this picture, this physical picture of something that's happening spiritually. And he's also given us communion, right, as a way to remember the sufficiency of the blood and the body of Jesus that was nailed to the cross for our benefit. Right, it's a picture of the brutality of it, but also a picture of the nourishment that it provides for us. So as we take this, I want to read from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, it says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Paul continues. 
He says, in the same way, he also took the cup after dinner, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. And he concludes this section by saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today humbled because we are so incapable of being who we are supposed to be apart from you. And so, God, we just confess that we need your help. Some of us need to repent for the ways we have spoken, and we need to lay that at the feet of Jesus. And so I pray that in this room you'd reveal that to us. Reveal the areas where we are just disjointed, where we do not speak like you. God, some of us need the boldness to speak encouragement or truth in a situation. God, I pray that you'd provide the boldness that we need. Reveal to us the ways you've been faithful. And may that result in boldness in the present. God, we give you our inadequacy as a body, as a church body, and we ask that you would help us to become people of encouragement, who don't grumble, who build up, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.